big sound in a small town Far away from the big city lights Making music every night Good music with all our friends Tell everybody, tell your mama and them We're going out and we're getting down A big sound in a small town 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 And welcome to Big Sound Small Town. I'm your host, Sandy Carlton. And this is a podcast about the lives and stories of the musicians, writers, artists, and their associates that have their roots in the small towns and communities across America. If you like what you hear, tell somebody. Enjoy.
love And I've gotten drunk with chieftains in a Dublin hotel pub And I dearly love these memories All that matters right now to me Is eight more miles, eight more miles And I'll be home Yeah, it's good to have you. My pleasure. On this uh, freezing cold day, it seems to be snow and ice all across the states, and it's no exception here. I was going to go out for a go to the store yesterday and stepped outside and almost killed myself oh. stepping on it. Uh, on yeah. Just the shit of ice, and I couldn't get in the car. And so we're just hunkered down here for the next couple of which is fine. Well, here it's doing the cold rain, North Carolina thing, uh, 33 and rain. So, man, um, I had to be out in it yesterday. <laughs> that's pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty nasty. It's, it's pretty, I mean, it was in the twenties here yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been, <clears throat> it's not real snow, but it, it I mean, it's white. <laughs> oh yeah, it is wet. Snow. Yeah. Oh, it really is. I, I guess, um, Originally, you grew up somewhere it snowed a lot, maybe? Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in, in uh, New York, just uh, outside of outside of the city, in, in Mount Vernon. And uh, I was the youngest of four boys. And uh, I do remember a lot of uh, my was battling over who was going to have to shovel snow because we, we got a lot of it. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I really did. It's a lot less, you know, it may be uh, anecdotal, I'm not sure, but it seems less snow now than there was when I was a kid. We had to see like it went all the time in the winter. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Did you grow up in a musical family? Uh, sort of. Um, you know, I, my older brother, Pat, he was about eight years older than me, and, um, you know, he had a rock and roll band. Uh, when he was 16, so I was like eight. I was eight or nine at the time. Yeah. We had a lot of records in the house. My my parents didn't play music at all, but my uh, and we had just a wide range of records. I mean, from you know, sort of in the '60s when I was a teenager, and my older brothers were collecting rock and roll. You know, right. oh, 45s yeah. from the in, uh, inception. You know, so we had an extensive collection of you know and drifters and on and on and on yeah. but then there was also you know like sort of jazz records in the house and and, um, and uh, folk records and then i sort of got into um, bluegrass when i was a kid and and uh, I, was, I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of music and, and my mom was she would you know, one year she would buy a stereo system for said for Christmas, like a gift. And, right. and one year she bought a uh, tape recorder, uh, which I just became completely enthralled with. And I would listen to records and tape them and 
try and add some kind of percussion to it in some <laughs> way that wouldn't fear with anything and so I put myself on those records <laughs> later it was my uh, childhood uh, excursion into overdose <laughs> <laughs> right, well, oh, I guess that's a start as a drummer yeah you know, I mean I, we, we were all required to take piano lessons but um, when by the time I came along um, the requirement wasn't quite as strict so I could have it pretty quickly and uh, um, you know, can my brother Richard, who I played music with for many years, uh, decided we wanted to take, if we were going to take piano since we wanted to learn how to play the things that we wanted to learn how to play, which was, uh, you know, Jim Lewis and, and uh, right. little Richard. And yeah. And so she found a teacher that could do that. And we took one lesson, and, and unfortunately, it started off with learning scales. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so I quit that, but I, I started playing drums very, very young and, and, um, used to fill in with my older brother's band when, when I was about 10 or so. And, you know, he was 17, 18, 19, they had a pretty popular band and when the drummer couldn't make a gig, I would, I would be there drumming, which was really a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. I was the older brother who my brother always did his best to get to fill in with bands when I played in them. So it is pretty cool. Yeah. Sadly, we we both have been musicians our entire life, but neither one of us has ever played together to amount to much of anything. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so it's just, um, you know, we just ran in different circles, I think, is what it was. So, yeah. Well, my brother Richard and I played a lot together when we were in high school. Uh, we played, my cousin had, and so we kind of made our pin money playing proms and dances and those kinds of things on, on the weekends. I remember my mom would load us up in the car and drive us wherever it was we had to go because we were too young to drive. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, she'd hang around for the gig, fortunately, you know, being just kid. Right. They didn't run until 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh. Uh, well, I you know that's a. So, did you plan on doing that for a living at you know at an early age, or or did it just evolve? Well, I mean, I, you know, I I did the usual route and went to college for a few years and was playing music all the time. And I was going to school in Connecticut. My brother was going to school in uh, Boston, and I drive up there pretty much every weekend mm -hmm. and uh, we had a bluegrass band and we would pull it and then I, I got into songwriting and um, there wasn't any there wasn't any outlet for it in the kind of music I was playing I mean I thought I was sort of writing bluegrass style country songs right. but in bluegrass it was so it was so tight that people they just were not interested in any new song. Just wanted to play the old songs, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wanted to write, and so I started finding other people that I could that were were interested in doing something else that was you know sort of country folk, based, right. but not really hardcore anything. Mm. And so I was going to school and and doing that, and had a band in Boston, and you know. Uh, um, played a lot 
uh, there. And, um, and at some point, I think I was like a junior in college, I might have even been a senior, just quit. And I thought everybody's wasting their money on me going to school because I didn't have any interest in it whatsoever. All I wanted to do was play music. And I guess that was sort of a conscious decision. Like, okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna do not realizing how really hard it is. <laughs> yeah. At that age, it doesn't seem to be really that hard. No, no, no. <laughs> You know, so 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 you were at that point. I guess you were riding around Boston, New York areas, and playing your stuff around that area. Yeah, well, you know, as I say, we had a band uh, called the Sandy River Band, and it was it was um, you know it was I was the front man, and we had a, a steel guitar player, and it was, you know it was a five piece country band basically. Right. Yeah, and at that time, I was it was based pretty much entirely on my songwriting and whatever else I wanted to do. And that was, you know, I would do some Merle Haggard things, Stanley Brothers things, but in that, uh, uh, you know, doing bluegrass songs, but in piece country band sort of setting. And we got offered a record deal and, you know, rented a little house in Vermont to rehearse for it. And uh, I went to New York to... uh, signed the deal i can't remember the name of the company now um but anyway you know there and turned out it was not the deal that they said we were going to do i thought it was it was album deal and we said well we want you to cut a single and i just said no i'm not i'm not going to do that and uh so and broke up and everybody's up a guys went to california and i finally realized there was no future for me in, in Boston because it was not, it was a, you know, it was a town of, of band. in a blues band, you could actually do okay right. playing frat parties. There's, there's an awful lot of those, or that kind of music. But for what I was doing, there was no industry whatsoever. There were a couple of good studios, but there was no industry. There's no outlet for, right. for a pathway for me. And so I said, I'm, Leaving them and nowhere to go. Uh, so, well, I could go to New York, but I don't want to. I don't want to live in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, I go to Nashville, and I knew nothing about uh, Nashville or the South, and, and thought I would never be ex- accepted here because it wasn't really it wasn't really hardcore country. And and so I had some friends in Los Angeles, and so I moved out there and. Pretty much did the same thing, you know, had bands and tried to get record deals and that sort of thing for quite a number of years. And it was tough making a living. I mean, I, I uh, uh, mostly would play in uh, honky-tonks because they're all those. And so I would, I was sort of lead guitar player and, and second singer. I would sing as little as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of joints. Uh, but it was interesting because it was the first time that I ever had, because I, I would be playing, uh, you know, a, what referred to as a sit, right. uh, you know, five nights a week. And when I started, the place called the Playtime Lounge out in North Hollywood, and I was playing six nights a week, Friday and Saturday, I would play from nine o'clock at night until seven o'clock in the morning, oh, and then come back on Sunday uh, in the afternoon for a jam session. 
uh, and for for that, I was getting paid the princely sum of about 150 bucks a week. Mm -hmm. But that was more money than I had ever seen uh, on a weekly basis, right. and it was really cheap for me to live. and And I was working every night, and so I had nothing any money on. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually, I could actually save money uh, on 150 dollars a week. Yeah, because that was that was a long time ago. Sure, that's. So, so I, I guess that was a pretty good time. I mean, um, did, did that did that scene just go away, or or what happens then? Well, I mean, it seems like a know, good I, deal at the time. I mean, you know, uh, playing playing six and seven days a week, uh, one hundred and fifty dollars a week or so. I mean, at the time, I guess I thought I guess you thought you had it pretty well made, right? Well, you know, in a way. But the thing was, is I, it wasn't what I wanted to do, oh, yeah. and, and um, so I would spend afternoons writing songs and, and making demos, and you know, kinds of things. So I was working a lot, uh, and the, the nighttime gig was really just to pay, pay bills. Right. And um, you know, at some point there was a guy there, I can't remember his name now, um, who uh, had the gig before I got there, and he came in to sit in one night. And, and he was just drunk as a lord and barely made his way up onto the bandstand. And I realized that if I stayed where I was, <laughs> I was going to end up being this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, kept, I made a conscious decision to get out of there. Uh, um, and I had, didn't have anything going on anyway, really. Besides, I mean, I'd done endless uh, record company. I was always able to find somebody who would, pony up some money to get into a show and, and record some songs right. and then pitch them around. And so, you know, there were some record companies. I mean, I went back to Columbia several times. Every time they got a new head of A&R, mm -hmm. I would try and find a way to wrangle my way back, and, which I was able to do. And uh, I met some people in this club. That was the one good thing about working in this club and, uh, that were from Nashville, uh, um, a woman. Deborah Allen and her her partner uh, Ray Van Hoy, yeah, <clears throat> and they, they were from Nashville and um, songwriters. And Deborah you know, was trying to make records at the time, and oh. but Rafe was a quite accomplished songwriter yeah. and a young guy. I mean, he had his first number one record when he was like seventeen years old, mm -hmm. um, and he was up from the Bristol area, actually. So anyway, we became friends, and they heard some of my songs and said, well, if I moved to Nashville, they would try and give me a publishing deal. And so I said, great. And Deborah took some songs, and she was writing for MCA Publishing, and they uh, liked the songs and a publishing contract for a publishing deal. I didn't really even know what that was. Oh, yeah. I'd always, I'd always just assumed I would write songs, make, sing them, make a record, and that's that's what it was. The idea of writing songs I record right. wasn't on my radar at all. I didn't, I didn't really know anything about that. And so they sent me this contract and and said they loved these songs and they were going to start pitching them and, and they were going to pay me like I, fifty bucks or seventy five bucks a week uh, for that, which was a lot of money, but Right. So, oh, yeah. so I was happy to see that and then you know I sent him a few more things and and they finally contacted me and 
said they'd been pitching my songs around and had some ideas. And I was like, well, what ideas do you have? And they were like, well, we think you could maybe write, rewrite the second verse to this song or write a bridge to that song. I kind of, and I had never signed the contract. There was something, I never sent the contract back. It was sitting, and it was very difficult for me not to do that. Yeah. And um, so I've, I said, no, I'm done with those songs. I mean, you guys said you liked them, and I'm, I'm, I'm finished. I'm not yeah. going back and rewriting a song I wrote six months ago. Yeah. And so I had to turn this thing down. I had a, still living in, in, in LA, and I said, well, thank you. Thanks. So, uh, a very difficult decision for me because uh, it's like, okay, they opened the door and said, "Well, come on in." And I said, "No, the door. That's not the end. That's the door I want to go through." And so, Rafe, Rafe said, "Look, why don't you drive to Nashville?" And he said, "I'll get you a publishing deal." And I was like, "Okay." And so I drove to Nashville with a friend of mine named uh, Jay Patton, and uh, Rafe took me to Tree Publishing Company and uh, to the sort of head guy there, Don Gant was his name, the sort of creative director, and Don said, I love your songs, I want you to come and write here, and I'll get you some session work downstairs, I'm playing on demos, I'll, I'll pay you $100 every time you turn in a song. And I said... Okay, I, I, I said, here's the thing, though. I'm going to drive back to L.A. I'm going to pack up my belongings, uh, my pregnant wife, and drive all the way back to Nashville. When I get back here, are you still going to like these songs? Yeah. And he, he said, I like these songs today. I will like these songs forever. And I said, okay, I'll be back in about six weeks, and I'm losing Nashville. And, and he was good to the word. I mean, you were able to Absolutely. go there. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, it was remarkable. It was, it was really amazing because it was right before the publishing business became really corporate. Right. And so at Tree at that time, when I got there, the writers that were there every day, I mean, these guys would show up at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning and they would work until lunchtime and then they would come back and finish up whatever it was they were working on. And it was like Bobby Braddock and Curly Putman yeah. and Sonny Trockmorton <laughs> and Hank Cochran and Harlan Howard. And so I walked into this master class. Really? Basically. You did? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, right away, they, I, the, I mean, one of the first things I learned was a work ethic of like, this is, this is how you get, this is how you get it done. And, you know, I wrote with some of them and uh, we became friends and I worked with them in the studios and things like that. And it was like going, it was like going to university. You yeah, know? I'm sure it was. It was, it was, it was, it was songwriting. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you know, the walls of the building were lined with classic <laughs> country songs. Yeah. Um, and so I, I started doing that and I, and I, I, got rid of the idea in my head that I was going to be a recording artist. I thought, well, no, I'll, I'll just do this. I'll just write songs and, uh, you know, I can, I can, you know, make a, yeah. make a little bit of a living at it. And, um, it's funny. As soon as I quit chasing being an artist, I got offered a record deal. Oh, that's crazy. 
yeah i mean it was it really was it was really crazy and um anyway it just things things just kept going yeah i mean i mean that is a master that is like getting a master's degree from a songwriting school i mean where you were at you know tree was the place and the writers there some of the best of that time and that nashville had absolutely some of the best of ever, ever. Of any time. yeah of any time <laughs> i agree i still to this day uh, i i totally agree with that so um at that time okay that were those songs that you sent out there originally did they did stuff happen with them or did you say those from for yourself no um i i just uh, you know i wasn't saving anything for myself okay and uh i i as i say i abandoned the idea though once i got offered a record deal i thought well maybe i could do this and i i just kept writing and um in fact really was not writing for myself was consciously just trying to make up songs right and and learn in the process it was like you know there's songwriters has, has sort of an arts and crafts yeah, <laughs> it about it mm-hmm. that there's there it uh, it is an art form i suppose but there's there's a lot of craft involved there is a lot of craft and th- that's really what i started learning from these guys was was the craft and you know i remember i don't know who it was braddock or somebody said to me um in writing a song he said well, the, the second verse has to be better than the first verse. Mm. And it was like a concept that I never really thought about. You know, I, I, I was sort of able to pretty much get what it was I wanted to say in a verse and a chorus. Right. And the second verse was always just like, well, okay, you know, I, I can get through this. And it sort of, sort of made me realize, no, I have to, I have to work harder at this. Um, to, to you know to craft this thing into some, right. something that's going to keep someone's attention for the entire two and a half minutes not yeah just the oh first yeah minute and a half uh, so it was a, yeah it was it was this amazing school um, and and I started getting songs recorded like crazy um, it was amazing the first first couple of years that I was there. I was getting songs recorded by just all over the place. Um, they, I don't know, I, whatever it was I was doing um, seemed to be clicking with a lot of people. Didn't have, you know, many radio records, a lot of album cuts. Right, oh yeah. That, that would keep, that, that could keep my um, publishing deal in, intact. Right. Because um, if they put your, you know, if they put a song on the B side of the record, you made as much money as the A side. True, this is true, yes. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I have several of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was, a, it was a different time. It was like, you know, a, a smash country record album at that time. I mean, if you sold 200,000 copies, yeah. you were doing great. But they, they'd knock out two albums a year. Yeah, oh yeah. And so the publishing company, all the publishing, well, most of the publishing companies were run by record producers and owned by record producers. And so they had a staff of writers and they'd be recording, I don't know, three or four, whatever, or more artists a, a year at two albums a, a year. year. So they had a tremendous need for new material. Um, and so, the you know, the writers downstairs were, you know, 
they'd write something and bring it up to the third floor and guide cut it the next day. Wow. Wow. I, I, I mean, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. So, all right, you get your first deal, your first real deal, and you're an artist again. Now, are you able to do that and keep your writing, uh, well, your, your job with the publishing company going? I, I could have, right. but I didn't. Um, I had um, the first deal that was offered to me, I turned them down. And it was kind of similar to the, to the publishing deal I had been offered. There was one song that I had written. It was called Play Another Slow Song and that I'd co-written with my brother. And um, the record company, this Mercury Records, loved this song and they wanted me to, to cut it. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I can't do that because um, there's a singer named Johnny Duncan who's already cut it and it's coming out as a single. It was my first single. Right. And I said, well, I can't do that. And they said, well, write us another one like it. And I went, I can't do that either. <laughs> I haven't figured out I'm not one of those guys. I don't know how to do that. Uh, I can only write what I write. Um, and, you know, duplicating myself is not my uh, aim here. Right, right. <laughs> and so that was another one of those things where I said, sorry, I can't do it, and walked away from it. But I realized that, you know, maybe I could do this. And so I wrangled a deal with uh, Electra Records and um, cut an album and had, you know, had some chart records off of it, actually. I mean, I had one first single or the second single actually made it, you know, it was like a top 10 record. And, you know, they were falling in in that range, but they weren't selling anything. They were just radio records. Right. Um, And... But what I realized, I was at the publishing company, and I went, well, wait a minute, the songs that I'm writing now, I want to record them. I don't want them to pitch the songs right. to other artists. You know, I can't write that much. And so I would, I would, st- I was still there, and I realized that one day a guy, uh, what the heck's his name, Sonny, I can't remember his last name now, huge, Sonny Curtis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sonny Curtis Curtis came up to me and said, hey, man, I'm going to cut one of your songs. And I was like, really, which one? And he told me which one it was. And I was like, no, I've got that song on hold for me. (laughs) And so I I found out that the publishing company was, although I was putting the songs on hold for myself, they were pitching them anyway. Uh And I went, well, this isn't going to work. And so... um, my, I, I had managed to make my publishing deal a, a yearly renewable deal. Right. Uh, it was their idea to have a renewable deal so they could reassess it every year. Right. And I went, uh, okay, I'll do that, but let's make it a mutual renewable deal. So if I want to get out of it, I can get I'll out of get it. Out and they said, too. okay. And so I just left um, and wrote on my own and made a couple of records and did, did he did he record the song no okay he did i ended up doing it okay um and um no he he, he sonny was he would never do that i mean if he knew that i was calling he didn't right. know that i had that song on. oh okay and he was a, he's a really lovely man um it's an amazing songwriter he, he brought to, he, among other things he wrote the theme to the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That is really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
which he probably made a fortune. I'm sure he. I'm sure say. he did. Yeah, I'm sure that was a good payday. But he had written things for the Everly Brothers, and I mean, just you know, Buddy Holly, you know, just forever. The guy was around. He's a really sweet man. That's good. Uh, yeah, and so I, you know, I, I, you know, I was writing and writing, and then I started still on my own, and I lost the record deal, but you know, I was doing okay, and started working with Jamie O'Hara. We had known each other for a long time because he wrote a tree as well. And, you know, we, you know, we would pass each other in the hallways or having a cocktail or something after work and go, Hey, we should get together and write sometime, which is what every writer in Nashville says to every writer that he runs into Sorry, during the true. day. Yeah. We should get together and write. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you do, most of the times you don't. It's just something you say. Right. Um, but we decided well, no, let's go ahead and, you know, set up a, a writing uh, appointment. And he came by the house, we wrote something, and we liked it, and we wrote some other things. And we were at a place where we had reached, we had both been there about the same amount of time, but I had been in music a lot longer than Jamie. He didn't He didn't really get into music until he was in his 20s. Oh. Uh, he, was, he was a star athlete, I mean, uh, you, you know, record holder, right. football and running and swimming and everything else. And he blew his knees out and he couldn't play sports anymore. And his dad bought him a guitar while he was in the hospital having his knees fixed. And he just became a songwriter and he moved to Nashville. Wow. And so we became friends. And the, the thing was, we had both spent a fair amount of time writing songs that we really didn't care anything about. We, it was, it was as, as I said earlier, kind of a craft, kind of an issue. Yeah. And we we're both trying to make a living. And so that's what we did. And But we had reached this point where we wanted to write songs that we actually liked. You know, like if someone right. said, play a song... You would go, oh, yeah, I've got this new thing that I just did that I, I really like it a lot. I didn't really have a lot of those songs. Um, and so that was really our motivation to work together was to write some things that, uh, you know, if they were a guitar pull or something like that, um, and someone handed the a guitar, you'd feel good about you know, it. pretty yeah. good about singing the song right. rather than here's something I wrote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In hopes that somebody uh, uh, will record it, yeah. Yes. Because exactly. they're paying me to do it, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we did that, and we really liked what we were doing, and, you know, started putting, you know, we were doing these demos, and I I had a little demo studio in my house, and I would have Jamie would come over, and, and I would just record him singing the song, just him and a guitar. Right. And then he would go away, and I'd spend a lot of time, you know, putting overdubs on it and trying to figure out what should go on here and um it became the okanes um that that process and my brother would come in and i remember one time he, he was doing um a fiddle overdub on something and i said well that's great but now play a harmonica on top of that and he started playing harmonica and I was like, no, 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 I don't want you to play like you're playing the harmonica. I just want you to blow into it and play the chords. And so I could stack that with the fiddle. Right. And when I heard that back, I went, wow, that sounds like an accordion. Let's get an accordion player. <laughs> uh, and so we did. And we, we had this little band and we would just play joints around 
town in Nashville and, and just loved what we were doing. Right. And then all of a sudden you get a record contract with that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we we would play these clubs and there'd be nobody there. Uh, but, you know, we had Roy Husky was playing bass yeah. and my brother and Jay Spell and um, Roy Yeager was playing yeah. drums and and it was so much fun. I mean, we just really loved this music. And so I still was didn't have a publishing deal, but we, had, we were starting to build up this sort of small catalog of songs, you know, 10 or 15 songs that we were playing. And so I went back to Tree, and I had a meeting with Buddy Killen, and, and he wanted, they were always after me to come back, and I just right. never wanted to do it. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll go back and uh, this is how much money I want. And uh, the other thing that I want is I want to be able to use the studio as much as I want to use it uh, uh-huh. for whatever I want to use it for. Because usually, you know, if you if you wrote some songs, you'd book a demo and uh-huh. you'd, you'd do at 10 o'clock in the morning, you'd go in and you'd cut five songs. And at two o'clock in the afternoon, you'd, you know, maybe do some vocal harmonies and mix them and you were done. And I just didn't want to work like that. And yeah. so the idea was that we, if, if I could do this, we could take the band into the studio and spend as much time in there recording and experimenting as we wanted to. And the songs were not about being pitched to anyone. They were just about us doing this thing. And, wow. and Buddy said, sure, that'd be fine. Wow. It didn't cost him anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he owned the studio right. and the engineer was there anyway. So that's what we did. We went in and made the first album. Um, doing that uh, or made three quarters of it anyway and you know we didn't have any idea what to do with it I mean it, you know it, we had a, it was a mandolin and uh, someone playing you know guitar right. or fiddle and an accordion and an upright bass player uh, and at the time on the radio you would have been hearing you know Mickey Gilly or oh, Johnny yeah. I mean we had no there was no connection right. to what was on the radio and so we thought, well, maybe, you know, we could find a label in Germany or something. Uh, and a guy that was the uh, uh, musical director at Tree at the time was a guy named Bob Montgomery. And for some reason, he loved these demos that we did. And so he took them over to uh, Columbia, and we had a record deal within days. And... Um, I remember we went in there and had a had a meeting with the guy, the head of the label, a guy named Rick Blackburn, who passed oh, away a few yeah, number of years ago. Yeah. Um, a former shoe salesman, I believe, yes. who became the head of A&R, or the yeah. head of the label. And <clears throat> we went in there, and he, he, he said, look, I want to sign you guys, but I don't want you to change anything. The record, the music that I'm listening to right now is what I want to put out. And, you know, our response was, well, that works well for us because that's it. Right. Uh, and uh, he said, I just want you to go in and do two, three more songs to finish off the record. Um, and, and I remember uh, he said, I don't want you to change a thing. Don't change a thing. And I went, uh, yeah, OK, well, that's that's fine for now. Let's just see how the record does. 
And we actually sat there in his office across from him and said, well, you like this record and maybe it'll do well enough that we'll be able to do another record. But we're guessing by the time we get to the third record, you're going to want to talk to us about songs and you're going to want to talk to us about getting a producer. And at that time, what we're going to say is goodbye. We're not going to do that. And he sort of laughed and he didn't realize how serious (laughs) we were. (laughs) And so that's exactly what happened. I mean, we put the first record out, and it was it, it was very successful. I mean, it had a lot of it had you know chart radio records, sold hundreds of thousands of records, and we toured all over the world behind it. And then we put you know went back in the studio, and uh, we had a lot of songs written already because between the time we cut the first album and it came out. We yeah. had a lot of downtime, and so we just kept writing. And so basically had most of the second album written before the first album came out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and so then we, we would go on the road, and we would play all the songs that we hadn't yet recorded in sound checks and you know, break them in on, right. uh, on the stage. So by the time we got around to doing the second album, we were... We were done. All we really had to do was go in and sit down and record it, because yeah. uh, it was the same guys playing the stuff all the time, and 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 the tunes were, you know, road tested basically. And uh, <clears throat> but we did start running into difficulties with the record company, and they they wanted to hear songs, and we said no, we're not we're not playing you anything. And they went, well, you have to play a song. And we went, no, we don't. We're not playing anything. <laughs> We're not going to play you any music until we are completely finished with it. Um, we wouldn't let them come into the studio. Um, we had the receptionist at the studio say that if anybody from the record company calls looking for us, just tell them we're working. And um, every once in a while, someone would come over from the label into the studio and, and sit down, and, and you know we'd be in the middle of whatever it was we were doing, and we would just stop. And we would just sit there and talk to them <laughs> as long as they wanted to talk. And we wouldn't play them note one. That's uh, so, so funny. The first time they heard any of the music for the second album was when we turned in the master. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's great. I mean, that's, that's fabulous. Well, of course, by this time, they were really angry. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Yeah, <laughs> They didn't like us because they didn't. They just, they were used to being able to control things yeah. and they were, you know, they were used to having people who wanted, who wanted to be artists and famous, basically, right. so badly that they would do anything to do it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not it's very much like that today, I, I would assume as well. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, what they, they wanted to. The record companies, they, they like to have younger artists, and we were both in our mid-30s, which is not old, but right. it is to get started. Yeah. And, um, and I always thought it was kind of like the like the Army in a way, in that, you know, the Army likes to have young, right. young kids in it, because if you tell an 18 or 19-year-old to run up the hill to take out that machine gun nest, they'll go, okay, Sarge, no, yeah. run up the hill. But if you tell a guy that's 35 <laughs> to run up the hill, he's going to go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that's a good analogy. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> There's got to be another way to get there. Uh, and that was kind of what we did. And and uh, and so the record, it, it just didn't do what 
what the first one did. It was not accepted. It was critically, but it didn't it didn't sell as many records and didn't have as uh, as many tunes on the on the radio. And did the record company not get behind it either? They they got behind it a lot less. Yeah. Um, I mean, they they were really. It was it's, it's just a weird scene. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we did that, and we toured behind it, and and you know, did really well with it in terms of uh, you know the music itself. Right. I mean, we were we were quite happy with what we had done, and um, it it worked, uh, you know, on the road and everywhere else. And so it became time to do the third record. And by this time, we were barely on speaking terms. <laughs> um, you know, truly, and so. We went in and cut a record and turned it in. They 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 didn't want it, and they said, "Well, would you consider working with a producer?" Because we were producing all the records mm-hmm. ourselves, and we kind of went, "Well, I don't know." There's one guy that we would consider working with, and that was a guy named Alan Reynolds. And so we said we we would go in and cut a few sides with Alan Reynolds, and we you know like keep like half or two-thirds of what we'd done and just add a couple more tracks to it but our hearts weren't really in it and so basically what we had predicted that very first day (laughs) with rick blackburn is exactly what happened came to fruition yeah and so you know we cut the record turned it in and realized that we were now spending all of our time talking about getting a new record deal, going with a different label, right. management, and all this other stuff. And we went, this is not what we signed on to do. We signed on to record the songs that we wanted to record the way that we wanted to do it and live our lives. And we're spending most of our time now talking about business. Right. And neither one of us wanted to do that. And so we just said, we're done. We just walked away. Wow. But you know, at the time, that was the freshest thing coming out of Nashville. At that time, you know, I mean, everyone I knew thought that was just so different than Nashville, and everybody loved it. Well, you know, I can't, I'm trying to remember who it was. Somebody actually just told me that the other day. Um, <clears throat> I remember Buddy Miller told me that he, he, that when he heard O'Darlin on on the radio, it was, he said, I remember where I was, what time of day it was. It was one of those records to him. And he had been, you know, he had been working at it for a long time as well and not really getting where he wanted to go. And honest to goodness, he told me, he said, when I heard that record on the radio, it gave me hope. Yeah, I can understand that. Well, it kind of it kind of did me too. I mean, it was, you know, a thought that it did not have to be the, the cut in the mold of Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we we had no, you know, no uh, premonition uh, or thought that it was going to do as well as it did. Um, you know, that record. I mean, once again, we were just doing the work. That's all we really cared about, and I mean, uh, that's all I care about to this day. That's all I do. It's the only thing, the only reason why I do this. Um, is that my, the... my my whole objective is to is to please myself. If if if, if I <laughs> write something or, and I like it, then I'm fine. Yeah. And if I record it and I like it, I'm fine. I don't I don't care 
about what happens to it afterwards. It's just not important to me, and it and it really never has been. It's been about the song, hasn't it? Yep. Yep, I understand that. Well, is that does that lead to dead reckoning? I mean, is that how that comes about? Is that you know? Yeah. Well, so so the O'Kanes broke up, and 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 uh, by that time I had quit the the publishing company again. I left. Huh. This is the second time I left Tree. Because once again, I was in the same situation where whatever songs that we wrote, um, we were going to record. And so what did I need a publisher for? Exactly. I could start my own publishing company, company and keep 100% of it sure. instead of 50% of it. And so I did that. And and when um, when the O'Kanes threw in the towel, there was a space, a few years, where I just went back into my little home studio and wrote songs and did demos and just went back to tree for the third time and because you know they would pay me right and so i would do write these songs at home i'd never use their studios never or anything i did everything at home and uh i would just write them and turn them in write them and turn them in and um they had no success at all with that it just nothing was happening at all and um I really didn't know what to do about record deals and that sort of thing. I, I, I wasn't sure I was interested in it, but I was. I, I would play occasionally in Kevin Welch's band, just you know, because it was fun. Right. And uh, <clears throat> he was on Warner Brothers and was looking at signing a record deal with uh, somebody else. I forget who it was, MCA or something like that. And we were sitting down at my house late at night with me and him and Harry Stinson, and. Oh, Harry. Um, I said, well, we should just start a record company because uh, we've been through enough stuff that we know what to do, basically, and it's not rocket science. And our goal is not to have hit records. Our goal is to put out music that we can, that will help make us a living and music that we love doing. And what happened was I, I had gone over to Norway and I was playing um, a gig with Harry Stinson and Tammy Rogers, yeah, uh, I I had booked had been booked on a, a Norwegian tour, and they came along sort of as, as the band, right? And we had a great time. We were playing this place called the Cruise Cafe, and a guy came up to me at the end of the night, and he asked me if I had a new record out, and I said no, I don't, I'm not on a label anymore, uh, and I. And he said, "Oh, that's too bad because I'm 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 a record importer, and I imported your last record. Oh, I, there was another record company in the interim period. I did make an uh, an album for Atlantic after the O'Kanes. Okay. Jesus, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> uh, but that was all done. I was finished with that. But he had imported that record into Norway, and I said, really? Uh, and he said, well, if you had a new record, I would import it." And I said, well, how, how many would you buy? And he said, I would buy a thousand of them. And I said, well, how much would you pay for those? And he said, I would pay $8 a piece. Whoa. And I said, I will go home and make you a record. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. Uh, so I went, so the, I went, you know, was meeting with Kevin and, and uh, Harry and, you know, we're $8,000 ahead before we've done anything. Yeah. And so we were going to, you know, all of the 
all of our friends and partners in the record company would play on the records. And so we, the only thing we had to actually pay for was whatever time we spent in the studio, which was, I mean, we, we would do a record in two days. We were done. Um, and, um, so the only thing I had to pay for was, you know, a, a photo session and, and manufacture the records. Right. And so we started the record company basically in the black um, and, you know, did that for a number of years. And we toured the whole the whole label as one band. The yeah, I, I saw you guys one time. Yeah, in Greenville. Yeah. Where? In Greenville, South Carolina. It was a fun band. Yeah, yeah, I can see where it would. I mean, those those were really good people too. I mean, really good musicians. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, I, I've been I've been unbelievably fortunate um, to be able to hook up with just great, great, talented musicians <laughs> all along the way. Yeah, and so we, and and it, and the, the company is still is still going. The only the only people that are actively recording for it at this point are me and Raina. Right. Uh, you know, we put out two records in the sure. last three years, um, and um, we're getting ready to go back in the studio. As a matter of fact, in a, a month or so, we decided to actually the, the two records we did we did at home. Um, yeah, they're great, uh, man. I listen to them all the time. I listen to both of them a lot. Oh, great! I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, and they were they were recorded. I mean, you know, I went out and bought a. I think it's called R16, um, a Zoom R16, and it's a, a little A-track thing. It's, it's it's not much bigger than a you know a, what do you call a laptop kind sure, of thing. Sure, I use one of those. I also use a Zoom podcast to do my podcast on, so I'm pretty familiar with that stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had recorded. Um, I, I we made a record with me and David Francie and my son Lucas in Australia. And I, we were touring over there, the three of us. And I brought, I bought one of those little Zoom, you know, looks like about the size of a Walkman. Oh with yeah, two yeah. microphones sticking out of it. Sure. Mm -hmm. And recorded this album on that. Uh, wow. In in, uh, it's called uh, Go Jane Go. It's the name of the album. And it's just me and Francie and Lucas sitting in a living room in a farmhouse outside of Melbourne. And with no, that's all we had was that Zoom, and I think we had one other microphone that we could plug into it. No playback system, nothing. And yeah. so we would, we just all be wadded up together, and you know, we'd cut a track, and the, the playback system was that tiny little speaker yeah. that was about the size of a transistor radio from 1950, and. I would just go in the other room and say, okay, play it back. And I would sit in another room and go, well, I can hear everything. I guess we're done with that. <laughs> and uh, that was it. That's how that's how that record was done. And then we got a little bit more high tech as, with this R16. But still, you know, did it at home with a few microphones. And we did, we, we recorded the first album in the bunkhouse up at the cabin in the Adirondack Mountains. And it was really... It was really a lot of fun because it was the most time that I'd ever spent in the sort of quote unquote studio right. in that we would write something and then record it and go, well, we, yeah, we don't feel like recording today. Let's, let's, you know, go play golf. That's cool. And so we, we would do that. We'd come back and go, let's try it again. And then we do, you know, maybe. So there was no pressure. There was no red light. There was no expense. There was nothing involved in this other than us just playing uh and ba 
basically going, yeah, yeah, that sounds like us playing. And that was it. Um, and I have to say, I've, I've been amazed at the response the, to the actual sound of the record, that people seem to really like the way it sounds. That sounds great that, to me, yeah. Uh, yeah, there isn't any of that, well, it sounds like you did it at home kind of a thing. Right. But it, once again, it's completely and totally live. Um, you know, the things that, you know, the stuff that I did with Kevin and Fats Kaplan, uh, with uh, Kane Wells Kaplan, those records, right. they are also completely live. I mean, all, all the vocals, everything. Um, you know, occasionally someone would add a harmony part, but other than that, it's just the three of us. You know, no headphones, no baffles, no nothing. That's great. Um, and so I've recorded like that for forever, as far back as I can remember. Wow. I mean, because the stuff sounds, all that stuff sounds really good. I, I would have thought it would have been in a, you know, one of the higher end studios in Nashville. So you're fooling the world pretty good because I've listened to a lot of music and played a lot of music. So it sounds good. Great. Good to hear it. You know, I, I, I guess that's a pretty good feeling to be able to do that. Um, I mean, you know, you go in a studio and... Well, of course, there's always somebody pushing when it's when it's not you doing it too to add extra tracks and all. And record companies do kind of get in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, since I'm the head of the record company, <laughs> <laughs> it, it all goes pretty much however I want it to go. <laughs> I mean, do you guys ever play a bad note? Since now that I think that all this stuff's being done basically live. Do y'all play bad notes ever? I mean, <laughs> that you know, I mean, I mean. Well, we do get to do it again if true. we do. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Uh, you do. Uh, uh, you know, in, in my experience, when you go in the studio, you always have that one person who is wonderful until they get into the studio and then they're like, can't play a right note to save their life. That does that does happen. It, it hasn't been my experience. I've been fortunate enough to go in, into the studio with people that um, really know what the heck they're doing, and they go ahead and do it. But yeah, I mean, there, there. I mean, there's tracks like on some of the KWK things where I'm I'm playing drums, um, or, or an Airsats set of drums. You know, I have a yeah. hi hat and some kind of drum, and, and it, my my foot is being mic'd for for a kick drum, and you know, and it's me and Kevin Fats, and I, I'm singing the harmony parts, and uh, you know, it's just live. Wow. And I think in the end that those kinds of, or I'd like to think anyway, uh, they do when I'm listening to other people, and I hope it would be true of, of some of the things that I, I've been able to do as well, is that those records to me kind of stand the test of time in a way because it's, it's actually people playing music together right and it, it's kind of hard to beat that like it I, is. I mean uh, you know i mean i've done a lot of you know all my demo work for years was basically just me and i would have just assemble it and I, it was and it was lots of fun to do right um and you know and have done records where it was like okay well let's put some piano on that one or let's you know whatever right. whatever it is that you're gonna do but the ones where it's just us sitting in a circle with no headphones on and uh no baffles and this whole 
concept of separation and things like that is a bunch of nonsense for the most part. Uh, you know, there are there are instances where, you know, like if you've got something that's ridiculously loud, yeah. well, I don't know why you would, um, you know, where you may want to do that. Uh, and, and it works in lots of uh, lots of circumstances. But for for what I do and for what I want to do, um, there's just nothing sounds better than, you know, pe- people sitting right next to each other playing and singing like you do. Yeah. You know? Oh, I agree. The Some of the best records that that. I've listened to over the years and the, the stuff I've done on my own when it is it is played live I, yeah. I like it better I, it just seems like it's a living product instead of a, a simulation of parts well exactly I mean it, it that's exactly what it is and um, I don't know this is it's sort of guileless you know <laughs> yeah you don't get to go, you know, I, I, that was the thing for me when I, I, I had this revelation. I started not, uh, I mean, I sang live on everything after my first record. Oh. Uh, and the first record was, to me, kind of a disaster, but it was a great learning experience. But once I did that record, uh, I never put on headphones again in the studio i would do it if i were just in the band um playing on someone else's record because i had to right um but anything that i was doing uh even when i was playing with a full band uh full-on cooking band i would just set up a couple of tiny little speakers in front of me so i could just get enough of you know the rhythm section because they were on the other side of the room uh and i would just sit there and pick up a guitar and sing the song and that was it that's great uh, yeah you go in and you listen to it back and go you know you either like it or you don't yeah I but mean, the idea of going in and punching in lines yeah. you know the first record that i made uh, on electra i mean the producer was this guy named jimmy bowen yeah and he would that. they would i mean they would take like you know if you take an s from one word and put it on another one. Yeah, oh, I, mean, it I was know. was insane um, uh, how they worked. And it was like clear to me after that experience, is like, well, this is not how I, I, I can't live like this. I love that. I mean, I, I, I love the thoughts of that because it is how music is played. It is real life music. I mean, you know, we go out and we play it. And it's yeah. nice if you can get it recorded that way. Yeah, and it is, you know, I mean, it is fun. It's not the only way. I mean, it is fun to, to you know, sort of assemble things. I, I, as I say, I spent a lot of time doing that as well and being able to go try something and go, man, it's not working. Let's try something else. That, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, but, like, when we would go into the studio, you know, when Kane Wells Cap would record, we didn't even know what songs we were going to record until we got in there. Wow. And I would have some songs, and Kevin would have some songs, and and we'd just go in, sit down, and go, okay, who wants to go first, and what do you want to do? Uh, And I'd play the song, and they'd learn it, and, you know, 20 minutes later, we were done. And I guess, basically, you just turn Fats loose and let him go, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, what do you want to play on this one, Fats? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) appears to be that way. I mean, he's pretty incredible, so... Yeah, he's a good boy. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, he's a fine musician, that's for sure. 
Yeah, yes. Well, I'll be looking forward to your new project. Um, you know, it'll... I, I, I don't know. I guess the pandemic puts everything back a while. I don't, I don't you know. Well, I mean, we got the first, I mean, we've really only been doing this, um, you know, whatever it is, three or four years, and we managed to get two records out in that time. Yeah. And, uh, so I look back one time and I realized that on average, I put a record out every two years since 1980 um, in one form or another. And uh, so this seems to be, actually ahead of schedule well, that's good. But, and what's doing for us really i mean you know you know being isolated for me is not difficult uh, i don't really spend much time in the outside world anyway um and so like being at home um it's not a stretch for me yeah i've been and, practicing for this a while myself yeah and you know where we live it, it's a quiet neighborhood and and um you know, I mean, my heart breaks when I see how other people have to deal with this, you know, oh, yeah. living in an apartment building or something like that. I mean, we've got a nice backyard and a great neighborhood and a golf course that's, you know, one door away from us. We can just walk out there and play golf. Oh, yeah, that's great. And um, so that's not been it's not been hard in that way. But we haven't really been since we're not touring at all. I mean, our, we were in Australia when when this pandemic hit same mm -hmm. basically the same time the tornado hit oh yeah you know ray and i had booked a i don't know if she's talked talk to you about this but we had booked a month-long tour in australia for which we played one festival and yeah, that was she it did say that yeah she did yeah um, and so we just hung out there for a couple of weeks with our uh, woman who does our booking and uh, all that stuff she's actually a judge a magistrate but wow. she, when, whenever I tour, she just takes time off and just, you know, she tour manages for us and does all the booking for hotels and all the settlements. And she's an amazing cook and she has a You're farm lucky. out in the country and her sister has a beach house. And, you know, it's, oh, really, man. it's really, so we, we, you know, the tour got canceled and we went, well, let's just hang around here. We don't a little really vacation, yeah. Uh, and so that, yeah, that was actually the, closest thing to a vacation a real vacation i've been on in some ways in my whole life right was that long so but we haven't been we haven't really been working that much around the house uh you know rain has been doing our fiddle workshops which are going unbelievably well uh, it's amazing how many people are signing up every month she is such a fine fiddler too i mean oh golly yeah i mean she's, she's it, amazing she is amazing i i i Fiddle also, and um, we talked about sharing the old-time fiddle styles. I mean, we we both understand that part of fiddling. Uh, right. I mean, you get a lot of Nashville fiddlers, but, but she's different than them. I mean, I know she's, a ton of them. She is different than the rest of them. She's the, the sort of most groove-oriented fiddler I've ever played with. I totally um, agree. I totally uh, agree. It's that I can sit there and it, it makes things so easy for me um, because she is so locked in and so cool about what she does um, that I just sit there and, you know, 
as I say, it, it's like having a fiddler and a drummer and a bass player and a, you know, yeah. He's a, a breathing rhythm section. <laughs> I, t- I totally agree. And the thing I really like about her is she plays the right number of notes. I mean, I know that sounds, <laughs> I know that, you know, I played with too many people that play too many notes. You know, yeah. I mean, it, she can play all those notes, you know, but but she knows exactly what, what to do. I mean, it's too cool. You're a lucky man. She's a she's a good she is a good partner musical partner to have. Well, she's a good partner to have all the way well, around. I'm glad. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been um, you know that's the thing is like just doing the records. Like I mean, you know, the records are we're sitting as close to each other as if we were in your living room, right? Recording these things, and so you can hear every little nuance that's going on, and. Uh, um, it just makes it it just makes it easy and I love singing with her I love her, her yeah, voice I agree. she's just a great singer and writer just all the way around and I honestly in in all the years that I've been doing this uh, which are quite a few now I've never felt more comfortable on stage uh, than I have uh, playing with Raina well, that's great I mean yeah I just I just sit down and play, you know, because on stage we don't use any monitors, we don't nothing. Right. Uh, uh, it's just once again the two of us. I can hear her and she can hear me, and there's enough, you know, there's enough. We can hear enough of the house sound system that we don't need anything else. That's great. Yeah, I don't want to hear myself coming out, up, you know, singing into a microphone and hearing myself coming out of a box in front right. of me yeah. when I can hear myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I think it's, you know, monitors are an evil necessity, but I can always hear myself better without the, you know, I like, I don't like to hear myself as well through a monitor as I do my own record singing, so. Yeah. So, well, and I remember Raina back from when she used to fiddle uh, square dances and stuff around North Carolina. (laughs) So, uh, she's, you know, She's a really good uh, square dance fiddler. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah. Not that I square dance or anything, but I played a bunch of different styles of music around for a long time and come across a lot of people. So, um, and uh, she was really cool when she was here. So I'm sure I'm sure it, that that's really good. I do appreciate you taking the time to do this. Have we missed anything we need to talk about? need to hear I don't, I don't know i mean let's see well we're pretty much up to date oh do we need to, i guess we need to promote your stuff somehow um i don't know how to do that yeah yeah i, I i'll figure it out i mean i guess you're on all the the media stuff and oh yeah have a we're, website we're, and all <laughs> wherever records are sold exactly uh, That sounds good. I, I do appreciate. It. I know you guys are busy, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, I broke connection. Maybe or whatever. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up here. But man, thank you so much. 
Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.